You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about all things Bitcoin. And who better to do that with than the author of the book, Bitcoin Clarity? And this is Kiara Bickers. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. No doubt. It's a, it's a pleasure. So I've done a little brief intro there. But for people who are not familiar with you, tell them a little bit about you. Yeah. So again, my name's Kiara. I wrote this book called Bitcoin Clarity, but I think your audience would probably know me from back in the day. It was like five years ago now where I was at this uh, Milo event. It was a Milo at Berkeley and I was like mace live on television for wearing a make Bitcoin great again hat. Um, (laughs) Kind of became a little bit of like a Bitcoin martyr there. So um, yeah, in the past couple of years, I've been working deep in the Bitcoin space. I work in at a company called Blockstream, pretty close to some of the core devs of Bitcoin. So that's like the people who de- develop the protocol technology. And mm-hmm. what I wanted to do with my book is I wanted to think about how I could present Bitcoin so that the average person could understand essentially what developers understand without getting in the, into any code or cryptography or any of that, that kind of stuff. I hear you. And how did you get into the world of Bitcoin? How did you first discover it? Yeah, so I was uh, I was really into Ron Paul back in 2012. So I was pretty young back then, but I was following what he was saying about the Federal Reserve. Um, I had never heard of it, to be honest, until I had, until I had heard his message. And you know, started under reading a lot about Austrian economics, started looking at different different forms of money, the history of money, evolution of money. And then Bitcoin just fell on my radar as a as something that was in that realm. And I lived in San Francisco, so I was in tech already just by proxy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working at Stanford, so I would go to all the Bitcoin events over there. I would just kind of like nerd hustle. I would go to events and and listen and Gosh, it was so fun back in the early days. So I would rant about Bitcoin to anyone who would listen. And I ended up just getting job after job, just like working in the early industry, which was very different back then. (laughs) What was the timing on that in terms of year? 
That was like 2012. Okay. Yeah, okay. 2012, 20. Like, yeah, I've been, I've been working in the industry since about that time. Okay. So you're a real Bitcoin OG. Yeah. Well, I mean, I tried, I tried to learn C++ to tr- understand Bitcoin, which was like totally hopeless. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, Bitcoin's kind of like a weird thing because in order to convince anyone to buy it, they have to understand it. But to understand it is such this huge energy barrier that it takes to overcome. So um, I think now with people like Tesla, like companies like Tesla buying Bitcoin, it's sort of giving people permission to buy Bitcoin without actually having to understand it, which definitely wasn't the case back then. No one would even touch Bitcoin unless they understood what it was. No doubt. And for I'm sure there's going to be some people listening to this who are totally new to Bitcoin and who have just heard of it. Maybe they've heard about it recently and they don't really know what it is. I talk to a lot of people. I've been discussing it with friends and family for years. And there, I think most people have heard of it by this stage. But I think the vast, vast majority of people still don't really know what it is or why it's important, why people are buying it, why the price is so high. They don't understand the whole thing. Um, For for a a simple example, I mean, a lot of people still think that you have to buy an entire Bitcoin and transact an exact Bitcoin. So, so many people are telling me like, oh man, you know, good thing you're on board, but it's, it's way too late for me now. You know, like I can't afford one of those. And I'm like, you don't have to buy, you don't have to transact in. $48,000, $48,000 $48,000, $48,000 chunks. Like yeah, no, 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 definitely not. I don't think anyone would have like the goal of having a full Bitcoin would be awesome. But I think the, the real reason why Bitcoin is so hard to understand is because um, putting the technology portion of it aside, it's just so different than all of the currencies that exist. Mm-hmm. We're very used to like fiat stable coins, meaning like, mm-hmm. you know, we're used to the value of our money slowly diminishing over time. Um, like when, you know, when I went to the grocery store in the nineties, it bought me like 10 times as much groceries as it does today, but we don't really process that because it happens. Oh, it it happens so slowly. Mm -hmm. I think when the opposite happens and you have this asset, that's just skyrocketing to the moon, it feels like it's a scam. And like, that's genuinely what people feel. And there's like a lot of reasons that people feel that not just that are unreasonable, but also, you know, it's very easy to lose bitcoins, all this stuff. So At a high level, I I look at Bitcoin as an ethical alternative to the dollar. Um, I see Bitcoin as something like gold, something like private money. Um, I use the word like to maybe help people bridge the gap between like what's familiar and what Bitcoin actually is, because it's clearly not gold, right? It's it's just like it. Um, But you can transact it across like overseas for almost no fees, very, very low fees. Um, It's very cool. It's like it's it's a it's a form of taking responsibility for your own for your own finances. You know, it's a way of protecting your purchasing power as well as being fully in control of your money. And what do I mean by that? Right. It's like when you put your money in a bank and my grandmother experienced this like way back in the day, but um, there there were bank runs and basically the, the bank had lent out more money than it actually had. And then they couldn't go and withdraw money. So she would keep her money under her mattress because she didn't trust banks anymore. Um, There's sort of a similar thing going on in the the current ecosystem in that, you know, our money is being stolen away through inflation, or at least the purchasing power of our money. But also the government could just come in and take your money if they wanted to. And this happened, I had a friend when I was living in West Oakland, so sort of ghetto, but um, he he ran like a, a red light and he, he wouldn't pay the fines and he didn't go to he didn't go to any of the procedures that he was supposed to go to. And eventually they just like sucked the money out of his bank account. Yeah, and he didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, they can do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they can definitely uh, do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know someone that happened to. 
Yeah, unless someone yeah. that happened to. Yeah, he he told he told an offensive joke online, and we don't have a、uh, we don't have freedom of speech protections here in the UK. No,、so、you can actually you can be fined for things that you say or things that you post, and he got an eight hundred pound fine. And they just sucked it out of his bank account. I think he, he was gonna. I think he was gonna take a stand and not pay it because the whole thing was ridiculous, right?、Um, but yeah, they just siphoned it out of his account, and that <laughs> should kind of scare people that that's even possible. No, it absolutely should. And you know, there's the whole thing of like, well, it probably won't happen to me, right? But the 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 main point of Bitcoin is that it's censorship resistant money,、mm-hmm. meaning that you can make payments and it's very difficult to be censored with them. Um, there, that leads to a whole other concern of like Bitcoin's used for all these like terrible like drug deals or whatever, which is generally not. It's not. It's not. It's more true of cash than it is true of Bitcoin because of this public blockchain. It's really easy to trace. But yeah, I mean, Bitcoin's extremely interesting for、um, for the current world that we're living in, considering <laughs> considering like when coronavirus happened. You know, the price of Bitcoin just tanked because I think everyone was trying to get out of what they viewed as risky assets. And now that we're sitting a year into coronavirus, I think people are starting to realize that there's this actual benefit to the censorship-resistant type of currency.、Mm-hmm. You know, if your government decides to overstep, you can actually protest instead of just,、uh, you know, like that friend of yours <laughs> didn't realize that that protest、yeah. was not on his list of options. There, I mean, what you can, what can you do? You can go and pay in person if you if you have to, and pay like in coins or something as a form of protest. But they'll get their money from you one way or another. And the government's been printing trillions of dollars, trillions of pounds, and anyone who's remotely economic, economically aware, should know what that means for inflation in the next few years.、Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a whole not to get too economic with it, but there's this whole concept that the Fed, at least, you know, the the central bank here in America is pushing, and they're pushing that, oh, you know, there's no inflation because there's no money velocity. But they just put out a new report showing like what purchasing power is and all this stuff, and the consumer the consumer report of all the price of all the goods that they try and keep the prices stable of, and it's just completely shot. I mean, how many more people are unemployed? It's like millions of people. In the jobs report, are unemployed every single every single time they announce it, and they're like, "Oh, well, it could have been worse." You know, <laughs> like、uh, I don't know that it could have been worse, but I guess it. I guess I'll find out because it's probably gonna it's probably gonna get worse. Yeah. Yeah. So taking a step back, so for someone who's listening to this podcast right now, who is a Bitcoin newbie, but they've heard of it, they've heard little things, they've seen things on social media, but they just don't understand the basics. Can you give them a Bitcoin? One hundred and one that the layman can just understand. Like, yeah, what, what is Bitcoin, and where does it get its value from? Yeah, so it's hard to pick the proper level of resolution because every person is different, and I would have a different approach for depending on the type of person that I'm talking to. But I see a lot of similar questions being asked from the people who want to know more about Bitcoin. So I, I would say this. Bitcoin is uniquely different from other cryptocurrencies.、Um, th- I would one of the things that people who are new to the space do is they treat cryptocurrencies as a basket of exactly the same things, which is just not true.、Um, the the point of Bitcoin is to be decentralized, right? And what does that mean, right? So when you're decentralized, it means that it's incredibly difficult, if not straight out impossible, to stop the software from being run because it's run on so many different computers, and you would need to shut every single one of them down, right? And we don't even know where they are. So Bitcoin is Decentralized, and that decentralization allows for having payments that can't be censored.、Um, there, on top of that, Bitcoin is also capped at twenty-one million. So we have now we have these payments that can't be censored. It's never going to be inflated. In fact, it's sort of 
at a certain point, it just stops inflation entirely. So there's a small amount of inflation, but it decreases every four years. And that's designed to increase the purchase, to, to basically increase the value of Bitcoin over time. But when I compare that to other cryptocurrencies, like, you know, Facebook wanted to do a blockchain, uh, there's like Namecoin, there's Ethereum. These are entirely different projects. There's the Dogecoin, like some, some projects are clones of Bitcoin, but uh, they have different properties and oftentimes they're centralized. So I think in the future, we'll probably hear things along the lines of like, oh, XYZ government is going to make their own blockchain, right? We're already hearing murmurs of how the US government wants to do its own digital currency. It wouldn't be a blockchain, it would be totally centralized. Okay, so what is the point of Bitcoin? What is really answering the same question of what is Bitcoin? Like, why do we find Bitcoin valuable? Why does Bitcoin have any value at all? Is Bitcoin just a bubble, right? And that is such a deep question because people don't understand money, right? So the problem with money, at least from a certain perspective in economics, right? The problem with money is that when you have a small group of centralized people in control of it, they can use it to their own ends. So we see this with governments, right? They control, or at least their, their private central bank wing kind of controls the amount of money that's being produced. And this allows them to fund things in a, it, this allows them to fund things in a definitely, I don't want to curse. So in a definitely questionable manner. Okay. Let's say that. Um, yeah. I mean, so for instance, the government right now in the U.S., and it's kind of hard to say this without being like a economic doomsday type vibe, but um, what they're doing right now is the economy is totally shut down all over the world, right? So they're printing money in order to buy up all the assets at a, at a depreciated value. So, you know, not getting into conspiracies or anything, it's, it's not... It, it's a little bit weird that you would see the stock market rising at a time when production is at an all time low, right? Yes. Like that doesn't make sense. And when you take that understanding into something like Bitcoin, you understand it, it makes it a little bit easy to understand like what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is a protest against that. It's an alternative to that because what's going on is not rational. Right. It doesn't make economic sense that uh, that all that all the stock market should be pumped right now. But I'm telling you, there's a reason for it. The reason for it is because central banks, they've taken advantage of this coronavirus pandemic. And what they're doing now is they're buying up companies. So in the U.S., they're I mean, I could there's a whole laundry list of things they're buying, but we're not even necessarily allowed to know. They're definitely playing in the stock market, which, which wouldn't have been legal even just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that the government is now taking ownership of some of American companies. So this is like crazy high level economic stuff. But why would why would the U.S. government want to do that? Right. They want to do that because it's beneficial to their economy and it's, it's beneficial for their centralized control. So for Bitcoin. There's no one in control of it. There's no one who could change the supply of it because it's decentralized. And the only purpose of it is to have censorship resistant payments and literally not to have anyone in control. Mm -hmm. So once you understand like what's going on in mainstream economics, then you can understand like why Bitcoin was invented. When Bitcoin actually came on the scene in 2009, it was in protest of the Wall Street bailouts, yes. right? Because what was happening then? It was very, very similar. It was People on Wall Street knew that they could play dirty and that the government would bail them out, meaning that there was no downside. Mm -hmm. They could win and make money or they could lose and get bailed out. Yep. So, of course, this is what happened, right? 
They made all kinds of bad deals. The government bails them out. They make money both ways. And Bitcoin is a protest against that. And, and it's all it is very simply is it's money that makes sense. But because we live in an environment that doesn't make any sense, it's very hard to understand <laughs> money that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's a great it's a great way to put it. I feel like that's a great analogy for a lot of the things that are going on in the world right now. Right. I think certain things what? have been so <laughs> propagandized and corrupted and, you know, the government is saying this and the media is saying that and people aren't really seeking the truth. It's almost at a stage where when people see the truth or they see certain facts, they think that the fact is a lie and they think that the truth is the propaganda or the conspiracy theory because for such a long time, for you know decades in some instances, certainly when it comes to money, um, you know, for decades, we've kind of been living on this big inflationary Hoping. And yeah, we've been living on this sort of illusion. So people look at something like Bitcoin and they're like, oh, that's not backed by anything like that. That is the fake money. And I'm like, do you know what fiat currency is like? (laughs) Do you know how do you know how much of it is is created? Do you know what the inflation rates are? (laughs) Like when people are telling me Bitcoin's not backed by anything, I'm like, okay, well, what's your what's your US dollar back? You know, sometimes people will say the military. And I'm like, it's true. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But it's kind of, yeah, it's really interesting. I think when you talk about the decentralization and the lack of a governmental authority, depending on someone's kind of sociopolitical views, oftentimes that's either like for me, when once I understood that Bitcoin was an easy, obvious investment for me, right? I was like, I was like straight up, right? I'm quite libertarian. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing, right? Like, obviously, I get. And then I've told other people the same thing, and like, it freaks them out because like they want the government backing. Like, you know, they they are fully into the sort of current system, and they're like, no, I don't want to go away from that. Like that, that scares me. Like, I want the American government or the British government or the European Union to be in sort control. of backing. Yeah, to be in control of it. Yeah, you said something interesting, and you 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 said something about truth, and I think. I I consider myself someone who likes to like think about issues, think about things. Like I like to use this this brain for something other than just like I don't know, agreeing with people. I'm a very disagreeable <laughs> person. Okay. Um, so what that means, like I've thought about this before, and I think that for the majority of people, they consider truth to be whatever the consensus believes. Yes. Right. And so if it almost it, it puts fear in people's hearts to think, oh, this is not consent. No, people don't agree on this, which means there's no truth. If people are in disagreement, for a lot of people, it, it's a synonymous with saying there is no truth around this topic. So, I mean, good riddance. I mean, what's great about being early in Bitcoin, and you know, we could debate on whether or not this is early. Certainly, most of the investment in Bitcoin does come from the U.S. It hasn't really spread to a ton of other countries. Um, it's not as if nation states are buying Bitcoin that we know of, right? Um, so, in a way, it could be early. Uh, when 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 I like when we see Bitcoin because of our libertarian values, that's a gift because now we're being, it it allows us to be an early investor and think against the, like against what consensus beliefs, Mm -hmm. right? If, if I had really understood Bitcoin, like truly understood it in 2012, my life would have been totally different. Right. But I also believed in consensus thinking to some degree. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly hedging. I was like, Oh, I'll just do a little bit. I'll just do a little bit. And now it's, it's, it's only going to be once like, 
like now, honestly, with Elon and all these people buying Bitcoin, that people feel that they have permission to go all in. And I know the hedge funds feel this way. (laughs) (laughs) Hedge funds have been buying up Bitcoin with no problem. And the type of people that are buying Bitcoin now, they don't look at it as like a vote for a libertarian system. Mm -hmm. It's very it's it's more self-interested. Right. They're just like, well, this is going to protect the purchasing power. And what people who are buying Bitcoin at this level do, these aren't people who are ever going to sell. Like what's going to end up happening? And this is a prediction. Okay. So like I could be wrong, but I obviously think I'm right. Otherwise I wouldn't be predicting it is that people who are buying large amounts of Bitcoin will never sell that Bitcoin. They'll just end up loaning it. So there'll be this whole new economy of like, oh, imagine that, you know, I've already talked to people who want to set this up for themselves, but like you want to buy a house and instead of actually buying the house, you put down Bitcoin. And, you know, if the price of Bitcoin goes up, you still make money, but you also get the house. There's all kinds of weird stuff that you can do um, once banks start to accept it. Mm -hmm. But that's like a whole nother level. And I couldn't I couldn't have even fathomed that that would have been the case two or three years ago. Yeah. But now it seems inevitable. Yeah. What is it that changed specifically in those two to three years that changed your mind on that? The number of millionaires and billionaires who want to do it. Okay. Okay. Like the the number of people who are like in in the work, actually like trying to make things happen, trying to get you know, deals going like there's there's a lot of non-technical business people who didn't have any faith in Bitcoin, didn't want to buy into Bitcoin. But once it started to hit, you know, 10 grand or more, then they're like all in. Yeah, yeah. And they still don't understand Bitcoin because for a lot of people, they treat it as if it's something like stocks. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, I want to I want to get like five percent interest on top of the growth on top of Bitcoin. Like they're thinking about it in a totally traditional way when it's it's just something different. You know, and it's what you were saying, too, about being able to buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. Like some of the richest people I know in the Bitcoin space are people who bought and sold things with Bitcoin in like 2015. (laughs) They're like, oh, I sold T-shirts in 2015. So I have (laughs) Bitcoin now. Like that's it's absurd. Right. And then I, (laughs) it's crazy. It's crazy. I think the upward potential for Bitcoin is so high right now because, I mean, even just last year and I I know less about uh about the UK than I do about the US. But even just last year, the the total debt just doubled. You know, it's like, and we haven't seen the same amount of inflation because there is like there, people aren't really spending money. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of money that we're begging for from our government is hilarious. There's like a guy on Twitter who basically just he takes his stimulus and then he just buys Bitcoin and then he retweets the price of his stimulus. It's funny. I, I know a lot of people who got their stimulus and went, went and bought guns, which is like one of the most American things I can think oh, of yeah. in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Kiara's like, yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's funny. So in terms yeah. of where we are with Bitcoin, so you know, it's something I've talked about with my friends since 2017, really. Um, but it's kind of coming back into the conversations quite a lot now. And a big question people have in general is, is it too late? Right? Is it too late? And in terms of the grand scheme of the Bitcoin story, I mean, I think we're crazy, crazy early still. Um, but where do you think we are? How do you see that sort of adoption curve going over the next, I don't know, let's say decades? So, I mean, we have to remember that Bitcoin, Bitcoin like five years ago was less than a thousand dollars. Yeah. So, and that's like kind of hard for me to process having like, like, it's just hard for me to process because people think in terms of like opportunity and they're like, oh my gosh, my opportunity, like I've missed it. It's too late. But before that, 
before I'm um, before that time period that I'm talking about, which is like 2015, people were already saying it was too late when it was like $500 a coin because it used to be worth nothing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so like the 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 like you know going from a dollar to 500 is a lot more than going from 500 to 50,000. But mm. um, there's always upward potential, and the the flaw in thinking like that then becomes what cryptocurrency should I buy other than Bitcoin? Yes. And the problem with that is you're ill-equipped to make that judgment call if you don't even understand what Bitcoin is. Mm. So like, this is one of the messages that I, I try and put out because unless you understand what Bitcoin is, you'll never be able to compare it to anything else. Like there was this classic um, thing that happened in Bitcoin. Well, it's kind of like Bitcoin history at this point, but when Bitcoin split from, I don't want to confuse people, but from Bitcoin BTC to Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash, mm -hmm. it was like a hard fork in the chain, meaning that if you were holding Bitcoin, you also had Bitcoin cash. Some people who don't who don't work in cryptocurrency kind of like equate it to a stock split. You know, it's not exactly like that, but you can maybe think of it that way. Anyway, you had two separate currencies. And what ended up happening is there was a very libertarian push for people to buy Bitcoin cash. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they were saying like, oh, this is going to be more desirable than Bitcoin. There's going to be lower fees like this is going to be more decentralized. And all of those people got completely wrecked because they didn't understand what was actually true at a technical level. Okay. So like the debate was a technical debate, but people, it's like, imagine this, imagine, like, imagine that currencies could have marketing teams, mm. right? And then they could spin narratives about currencies. Like this is a totally new environment, right? You see that, you don't see that with stock, but you do see that with cryptocurrency. Yeah. You have people, you know, trying to brand a cryptocurrency into something that would make you want to buy it because it enriches themselves. If they can get a million people to buy into Bitcoin Cash, they can they can pump it and then they can dump it. And you just never know, like, especially with the smaller market cap coins, like who's really holding that cryptocurrency? Who's in control of the narrative of that? It's just so questionable. I mean, for me personally, I look at things that have long-term value. And the first use case for Bitcoin was the Silk Road. You know, and we can shy away from that because, you know, it's dirty or whatever. It's like this illegal thing. But it's just true. Like that was the first real use case for Bitcoin. And that was back when there was less tracking on the blockchain. So you're you had a little bit more people were using it in a way that had more, we would say, fungibility or a little bit more privacy associated with your transactions, which is not true anymore. So people if, if Silk Road were to exist today, and I'm sure there's alternatives to it that do. I have no idea, but it wouldn't use Bitcoin anymore. Right. So we call those coins privacy coins mm -hmm. because they have implemented at a cryptographic level uh, greater promises for for privacy. So, you know, I, I I find those things interesting. But, you know, those are things like Monero. Those are things like Grin. Um, those are not things that are like tokens you know? yeah. <laughs> like, uh, or or DeFi or, you know, but, you know, people can make their own decisions. But I always say you shouldn't you shouldn't buy anything you don't understand. And you shouldn't assume you understand something. So that, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you got to really do your do your due diligence, do your research and, and yeah. try and understand these things before you uh, get too much skin in the game. Okay. So what are your thoughts on, are you someone who considers yourself a Bitcoin maximalist or do you dabble in other cryptos? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if it's used in... Yeah, I guess maybe I am. I see it's really hard to say because Bitcoin well, maximalist I think you're not if you if you stumble over the answer because like for some people it's it's border it's a borderline religious conviction. 
No, I, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I had people unfollowing me on social media because I tweeted something about Cardano. Oh my God. Right? Cardano has been like flying and I do have a bag of it. And yeah. I, <laughs> and I just yeah. tweeted, I, I just tweeted Cardano with the emoji with like the heart eyes. And I had people underneath like, that's it. Like you're on unfollowed block. And, and like people were actually unfollowed. <laughs> Yeah. I was I didn't know I had these like hardcore like Bitcoin maximalist evangelists even following me, but they were just like, that's it, Zuby's dead to me. I was like, wow, okay, like that's a bit intense. <laughs> well, because the thing is, is like when so from the Bitcoin maximalist perspective, what they would say is they're the immune system of Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. And like and Bitcoin can't be protected unless people actually understand what Bitcoin is and people who are dabbling in other things. <laughs> it confuse it, it. It'll basically confuse people who don't understand either. Um, okay. Like one way around this, it's like instead of like trying to pick cryptocurrencies and then really understanding them, would just be to buy all of them, right? Mm -hmm. That would be like another. That'd be another approach. But again, not investment advice. Yeah. Um, no, I'm I. I don't mind if people want to shill other cryptocurrencies and like, like I shill, I, but see the thing is I don't even shill Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, I think Bitcoin is interesting and I find other things not interesting. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like number go up on Cardano would not be interesting to me because <laughs> at a technical level, it doesn't provide me any of the same, any of the same cool cypherpunk things that Bitcoin offers me. Like you the got those sweet, sweet gains, the sweet, the sweet financial gains. I don't care about the sweet financial gains. <laughs> I want the Bitcoin Citadel, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's naive of me. I don't know. But uh, I just find the ethos of Bitcoin to be so much more fun than like just number go up. Because when you look at other cryptocurrencies and you're, you're what you're doing is you're trying to price everything in terms of your fiat. Right. You're going to say, oh, well, this thing 20x. Therefore, I have more like, I don't know, like American fun bucks. Right. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever fiat currency you have, you're always comparing it to that. Like so it's when I think of Bitcoin, I think how much Bitcoin do I have? Not how much dollars does this make me? Yeah. yeah right. So if, and if you think about it that way, it doesn't really matter what the price of Bitcoin is because one Bitcoin is always one Bitcoin. But maybe I've just indoctrinated myself to such a degree <laughs> that I I do. It, it's impossible for me not to see the future of Bitcoin going up yeah. to such an extent when central banks are just so out of control. Okay, so that's actually that leads on to an interesting point. So, where do you see this long term story and potential of Bitcoin being carrying on from what you just said? Well, I mean, if we if we go back and we go back to I was saying like Ron Paul, right? Ron Paul used to talk about uh, for people who are unaware, he used to talk about like audit the Fed. We need to audit the Fed. And like that message is totally gone now. But the winning takeaway from that message is now people know what the Fed is. Right. So the Fed is this like pseudo governmental wing, but it's not. It's like a private bank. And basically, this is this is the entity that's allowed to print the money and buy all the things. And my I, I do not see a way out of the Federal Reserve trying to buy up everything. Like the Federal Reserve will be the path to slow socialism because they're like, what is socialism or what is communism? It's when the government owns everything, right? And that's literally what they're doing. They're, the, the prices of everything has just dropped and now they're buying it all up. And the reason why they buy it up is to, to artificially inflate the prices so that investors stay happy. So we have this illusion that like, oh, you're for, like your 401k and the stock market is doing so well. But it's only because the government and the Federal Reserve is creating all this debt 
to infl- to ba- to create fake demand, mm. right? So in the long run, they will own a tremendous amount of the world, not just because like you were saying, like, what is the, what is Fiat actually backed by? And, you know, you said the military, it's not wrong. What the, it's the U S is not just the, the U S dollar is not just the U S currency. It's the world's reserve currency, meaning that all central banks in the world have to have it as part of their reserves. Mm -hmm. They don't hold gold reserves anymore. They hold the U S dollar. So in the inevitable event of the failure of the dollar, what do you think will occur? You know, and I don't want to be like, I could paint a really painful picture about that, but you wouldn't believe it if I told you because it would, it's there's, I want you, I want you to tell me. Well, the podcast is called real talk with Zuby. So let's, the, go, let's, <laughs> let's go there. Well, we have to walk it through, right? What happens if the world's reserve currency fails? What do you, who, who takes power in that instance? Because, okay. So in the, in the case of the dollar has no more purchasing power. Right. So let's let's let let me start from the beginning. Right. So the U.S. government is printing all this money and they're sending it abroad. People it's mostly abroad that people are buying up this currency and and the dollar is already getting hit. So it's there's less demand on the dollar because they're creating so much of it. People have all these reserve currencies in the dollar. What happens in a world where that value evaporates? Right. So right now, the Federal Reserve is buying up obviously government debt, but more than just that, right? They're buying up companies. So in the world where the dollar doesn't have value anymore, or it has tremendously less value, let's just go with that. Let's say tremendously less value. Then, and they own everything. That means that everyone with money doesn't actually have power. It's the people who have assets. Yes. So it's the people who own property, land, mm-hmm. like businesses, but people won't own businesses because the gu- the Fed will own them. Yeah. So in that environment, how I how will things work? Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know. I mean, yeah. probably what will end up happening is there's going to have to be a basic income, which they're testing with coronavirus. Yeah, they are testing that. Yeah. And, you know, my vision, what I think will happen, and I hope that this is probably get worse than what I can imagine, but it'll probably be that the purchasing power of the dollar just gets so meaningless that you can only buy things that it that people are just barely getting by. Mm. Right? I'm not saying you need like trucks of money or whatever to buy things, but they're barely getting by and the government only pays you half of what you actually need to get by. So what does that mean, right? It means violence. Mm. It means like in Austin where I live, one of the things I've noticed is it's really difficult to drive through the city without like an exit on the freeway without feeling like you're totally trapped. Because like once you exit the freeway, there's no way to quickly get out. And there's like already thousands, like hundreds of homeless encampments all over. Yeah. So in an, in a violent situation, I would not want to be in even like Austin as a city. Mm-hmm. And it's not a major city. Right. So it's it's what happens. Liberals always say this. Right. What happens when there's poverty? You have increased crime. Yeah. That, that's really it is you have increased crime. You have greater power of the government because they'll own everything. It'll be harder for entrepreneurs to do things because, I mean, the cash just means less. Well, they they sort of communicated to us. Uh, what was it? The was it the World Economic Forum who said had that thing of you will you will own nothing and, and you will, you be, will happy. be happy. Yeah, will, uh, that, that, that that was that was the most dystopian thing. Now they're talking about the Great Reset. They're talking about. This. I'm just like. 
I'm pretty like- sure we live in a simulation <laughs> because before I wrote the book, Bitcoin Clarity, and I yeah. I wa- was writing fiction and part yeah. of the fiction was the term, the great reset. So here no I am way. writing this fiction book with the no term, the great reset. yes. And then years later, it comes to fruition in a slightly different, but similar dystopian concept. Like it, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's not that was scary. a synchronicity for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually scary. Like that's that's freaky. It's also like there's that guy who wrote some book. I don't know if it was back in the 80s or the 90s and he had a virus that's in the book, in a fiction book. Yes. He had a virus that started in Wuhan. It was called like Wuhan 4000 or something and it was I was just yep. like this is- <laughs> And real talk, how do you explain that? That's scary. Stuff like that freaks me out cuz I'm just like <laughs> I'm just like wait, that is I don't. I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm just like sitting there. It just. It just makes me sit there and just kind of in silence. Like, okay, there's some stuff going on in this world that we don't. We. My don't favorite know. book by Jung is uh, called Synchronicity, and he explains in the most rational way how how like what synchronicity is, and how yeah. things that are outside of the realm of probability or luck happen and have meaning, and how he tries to like he tests it in a scientific mm-hmm. way and then tries to explain it. Now people, you know, dismiss Jung, but. Such a boss, such a boss read. If anyone Carl, Carl Young, you mean? that book, Carl Young, you mean? Oh. Yep. Oh, okay. Oh, do people dismiss him? I thought he was very highly respected. Uh, not in academia. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because is... he married his patient. He married his patient oh. as a second wife. Okay. Well, I mean, the, <laughs> the, so the, he... the the the, pre- the current president of France was a schoolboy, and he's married his like school teacher, who's. You know, Ch- whose ch- whose child is older than him? I believe. Like, you're, yeah, you're some open-minded. people do weird stuff. Yeah, so, so, I'm not. I'm not saying it's okay. <laughs> I'm, saying, it's- I'm saying. I'm saying. I don't know. I I, th- I I don't know. I think um a forty something year old woman who is married meeting a schoolboy and ending up marrying him is pretty weird. I think. I think if the genders were reversed on that, I think people would be less cool with it. But. <laughs> I mean, just probably just a power thing for them, right? Which in which it makes sense. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's I, a won't think <laughs> I won't it's think hard. I So, uh, Kiara, yeah. well, I, th- I think actually, funnily enough, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show. I think the first time I did hear about you, I, I don't even know. I heard about a girl who yep. was where. <laughs> I heard about a girl who was at this at this event or in the vicinity who was wearing what people thought was a make America great again hat who got, got attacked. This is what, what year was this? Like 20s, 2016, I think 2016, right yeah. after Trump won. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember, I remember hearing about that and being pretty, I don't do a lot of outrage, but I was pretty outraged. I was just like, man, that's uh that's, that's crazy. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that day? Like what actually, what actually happened? Like, let's hear it. From yeah. So well. I would say like the culture was very different even just a few years ago. Right. Like, Um, There was sort of this like edgy online culture of being able to, if not speak truth to power, troll power. Right. And and because Obama was in office for eight years and Trump was sort of this unbelievable candidate, like no one thought he could win. It was, I think, a little more culturally acceptable for Trump supporters and the populist right to troll people in power. And that was, it was just more acceptable back then. So you had the rise of Milo, you had the rise of Milo Yiannopoulos and also like Gavin McInnes and like professional provocateurs by their own admission. Yeah. Right. And it was fun. It was funny. Mm -hmm. Right. And then like the whole, that was before the rebrand of like them being like terrible, evil people and all kinds of stuff. But at the time it was, it was a lot of just like poking the bear. 
Mm-hmm. And in the spirit of poking the bear, Milo had done this whole event at UC Berkeley right after Trump's inauguration. So uh, I was fairly naive about Antifa at that time. I think the only time I had saw Antifa in the news was they did this like they like tried to have some sort of explosion at like a Mike Cernovich event. Oh, wow. I think they were planning. There was some sort of like bomb scare there, but it didn't end up happening. Instead, they like threw pee on everyone outside of the event. Um, but that was like the one time that I had heard about them. And then also, I think it was at some animal rights protests, they would show up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I at this time, I did not know much about Antifa. And I don't think the country as a whole did or the world really did either. Maybe in Europe, it was a little bit more. Um, but anyway, so there was an event at Berkeley. And for people who don't know how the politics of this work, um, when Berkeley doesn't want, when, it, when a university doesn't want a speaker on campus, they don't really want to refuse them entirely because that would look bad, right? So instead, they'll maybe make arrangements for you to have the smallest room, or they'll increase the security fee, or they'll do sort of slight sleight of hands to sort of dismiss the speaker. Um, They had done this to a number of conservative speakers. And then Milo was sort of the peak of it, where, you know, all this, all, all of the moves that they could have done and more had occurred where they, you know, mandatory made the event at night to make it as dangerous as possible. Like they created an environment of extreme tension. Um, They didn't secure any perimeter. Like it was, it was just, you know, um, I thought the event was basically canceled, but I went to go check it out anyway, because it was late at night. I had invited a couple friends. We were all going to go. And it was like a group of 10 of us and I get to the door and like there are police everywhere. It kind of seems like almost like a SWAT sort of thing, right? Cause these are fully armed police. And then it's like over a thousand of these black block Antifa protesters. Mm-hmm. Um, and the news was there trying to make a story out of it. And I was one of the only people that was like not dressed in all black. There were a couple. So, you know, they, I did, a, I did one interview on the news about like the difference between hate speech and free speech. And, you know, my belief, you know, I, w- I was basically debating a guy and trying to ask him, like, what is the definition of hate speech? And then maybe we could, like, agree that it would be something along the lines of actually calls to violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he wouldn't take the bait on that one. It was just like anything you say is hate speech. Um, OK, ones, yeah. well, <laughs> I guess there's not much more to ones, say there. Yeah. Yeah. So then I do another interview and the other interview was very aggressive. Like the guy's just like, why are you here? Why are you here? And then like, as I'm talking, I just get mace and it happened to be live on, on, on mainstream television, which is why the event went so viral. And I remember like tweeting about it and I knew that the news would spin it to be about peaceful protesters. And I was being asked like in the interview, I was being asked like, Hey, what do you think about the protests here? I was like, you know, I think, you know, for the people who are doing it peacefully, that's awesome. But that's like five people. It's very few of them. Yeah. And then ironically, I'm like mace live on television and like the whole narrative being, I'm like, yeah, the peaceful protesters just maced me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was, it, it honestly wasn't terrible. Like so much people have lost their lives now. Like this kind of street battles have been so much worse, but even just five minutes after that event, we were maced again. My friend got his ribs broken And now in retrospect, I can say it wasn't as bad as all the other things that have happened, (laughs) but it was definitely a wake up moment because I just didn't understand how motivated they were. Yeah. Um, I think they had like the, the group of people had these shields that said like love, not hate. And they were like beating people with these love. (laughs) And it It blows my mind. It does blow my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you, the just standing there, 
in processing it, you're like, it, it, it's too much. It was just too much to process. <laughs> it's like yeah. the irony of it all. Yeah, you're calling yourself anti-fascist whilst using violence towards your political goals. And then yeah. you've got, um, you're beating people with signs that say, love, not hate on them. You're complaining about hate speech whilst calling people. The whole thing is, the whole thing blows my mind. It blows my mind. And well, they're really indoctrinated is what yeah. it is. It is. And then, and then it even, it even gets deeper when, you know, these things should not matter in a, in a sense, but it's like the fact that you are a woman does make it like, it's, it's like extra bad, right? Cause these will be the same people who will probably, you know, I'm sure that lots of those black block people will call themselves feminists and, you know, they'll be the ones, oh, I respect women and this and that. And then they'll be the ones who will literally violently attack or desecrate or insult, like, any woman, any any black person, any brown person, and all these yep. groups who they're claiming to protect and champion and be an ally of, it's like okay, see what happens if you uh, see what happens if you disagree with them. See how see how nicely they treat you. And and I just think when when I saw that, I was like, wow, like it would be terrible to happen to anyone. But I just thought that that there was that extra, like oh wow, like you a woman too you know what i mean it's just and it was so hard like to get the media coverage of it because the only reason why i was allowed to go viral is because i happened to be on the news but the group of friends that i was with one i'm gay my friend is gay so you have a gay woman a gay man we had like a hispanic guy we had like a a afghani refugee with us you know (laughs) who was also who like filmed the whole thing so it's just so ironic. Like, but yeah. the thing is, is getting in the minds of those people. Cause I lived in Berkeley for a long period of my life. They actually believe that they're fighting some sort of evil in you. Right. And that's sort of like, it's like this metaphysical evil that they're fighting and it makes them feel empowered because they're like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a good person fighting the evil person. And that's just not the way the narrative is, but that's what they see on the news. Yeah. So yeah. like, I can't even be mad at them. I mean, like, because well, they're you, just, you, you, you can <laughs> but it's not productive. <laughs> yeah, true. It's, you're 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 arguing with an NPC. Yeah. Right. The people who are really pulling the strings are the people who are crafting the narrative. It's true. It's it's the professors. It's the people who are in the media. Like I had journalists like want to interview me, and they were so nice right up until the moment the interview was over, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then they like just start talking. Matt, like it was just complete night and day. And they just get what they they get what they want. They spin their narrative. I would like when I would watch myself, they'd put a little subtitle under my name that would be like Kiara da 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 supports hate speech, like just really? insane stuff. And unless you have an audience, you can't really fight back against that. Yeah, that's true. You have to that's stay true. totally on top of it. You got to keep your brand, which is why they take people's Twitter away now, because they know that that's what they use to protect yourself. Yeah, it's wild. It, it's it's crazy. It, it's it's really weird because. I don't know. It's like hu- human beings can't just like we really humans really struggle to sort of like just chill at this happy medium. You know, it's like in, in so many ways where we live, you know, I'm in the UK, you're in the States, like besides this nonsense that's going on right now, you know, prior to this, going back to early 2020 or 2019, you know, we're living in the the most prosperous, safest, freest most equal, um, you know, by most measures, most economically uh, developed everything, not not just time in history, but also, you know, certain countries in the entire world. 
and there's you know it's like there's there's so much comfort and there's actually so much excess and there's so much opportunity on all this but despite that it's like i mean you, you know you you look at history and history history has its patterns and its cycles and there'll always be things you look at in history and you're like oh my gosh oh, that's unbelievable how did it happen how did this happen how did that happen but it's like we've so, we sort of reached this place and just as the you know to use a, a metaphor i think uh, douglas murray used in his book madness of crowds it's like the train was just pulling up to the station and then they just decided to sort of hit hit the accelerator and just sort of zoom zoom right on past right <laughs> so, yeah right so like okay okay we've actually getting a like very tolerant society like you know racism is absolutely not tolerated in western society yeah, yeah. there's still there's still bits of it there but it's not tolerated you know people going out and beating up someone for being gay is not tolerated. There was a time that was tolerated and maybe even encouraged, right? Like, no, like that's not, that's not acceptable. You know, um, the rights between men and women, all of that, like, cool. Like we've done this, we've done this. And now you have people who are like, it's almost like they're not happy with that and they have to take it back. Like I'm now seeing crazy things in the USA, like universities having racially segregated dorms and racially segregated events and they're segregating this and you've got people who are masquerading as being anti-racist whilst pushing racist policies and being racist. You have people who are calling themselves uh, feminists or, you know, pro-women and they're changing the language to <laughs> to erase the word woman out of it. And yeah. they're pushing for this. And it, it's it just blows my mind. Like, I'm just kind of sitting there watching like, what is what is up with our world? Why can't people just like Maybe, chill and be reasonable? I haven't really thought about it like this before, mm. but I'm thinking about this, like I'm thinking about this like this for the first time. It's like, maybe it was never about equality. Maybe this is about some sort of social dominance, right? It's yeah. like you use, you use things that you know people want. So people obviously, women obviously wanted some sort of fair treatment. That's what they meant by equality, right? They wanted some sort of fair treatment with against men. Um, but then, eventually, maybe even very quickly, that starts to get used for more than just equality, but more of like a more of a power dynamic. Mm. Uh, I think that I, I'm mixed. I can definitely see that my family's from the Philippines and then you know, the Spaniards come in. I definitely can see how that happens um, when it, you have more of a monoculture, but in, in such a diverse place as <laughs> or maybe even like a city like London or something like that. Um, it's it, a lot of it that a lot of that intersectionality is a way to gain power over other people and to get them to shut up so that you can have a time to talk, yeah. um, which, you know, it's like one of the things that I think about is like there's no more land to conquer. Right. There's there's no more. to there, There's nothing for men to really go out and and have like physical power over anymore. Mm. So you have, you have two options. Right. You can build something. Or you can destroy something, you know. Yeah, yep. And in a world where building something becomes increasingly difficult, then the the the, the drive to destroy something is just going to be more inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, Jordan Peterson sort of talks in this language where he says, like, you know, if 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 we if heaven on earth existed, we would just destroy it, sort of thing. It, sounds, it, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like we have a desire to overcome something. And if you destroy something good, you've mm. still gained power over it. Yeah. And if you can build something good, that's a lot harder than destroying something good. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's a lot harder to build, a lot harder to maintain. 
and surely like overcoming the types of systems that exist today to have like authoritarian power over us. Like, I don't even know where to begin when it comes with over overcoming those systems. Um, taking it back to Bitcoin, I think that's yeah. probably one of the actionable things people can, people can do, right? Mm -hmm. They can, they can own some Bitcoin and not worry about how much it is in their local fiat currency, right? You buy $50 worth of Bitcoin, a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin, whatever, like it doesn't matter. Don't think about the dollars. Think about the potential future that may occur, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I, have, yeah. I, have a, I have a big question regarding that actually, because when a lot of people talk about Bitcoin, they talk about it as something that could potentially help to solve um, some aspects of, say, wealth inequality, right? It's considered something that is fairer, um, which, which it is in a way because, you know, you don't need to be an accredited investor to buy Bitcoin. You could be anywhere yeah. in the world and invest, et cetera. So I think that is true. But I think also because of the upside potential of Bitcoin and the the massive exponential growth that it's had between, say, someone who invested even five years earlier than another person, I do also think like I'm not someone who even really thinks or cares much about wealth inequality. I care about poverty. I don't really care about wealth inequality so much. But I do wonder like in reality, wouldn't – isn't there like it, – it, what's what seems more likely to me is that you'd end up with like an even an even bigger gap, right? Especially if that sort of doomsday scenario that you mentioned earlier – kind of plays out because you'll have some people who have got <laughs> a couple thousand of Bitcoin that they that they got, you know, a, a decade ago yeah. um, or more or several decades ago. And they're like multi, multi billionaires, perhaps trillion. You might you might actually get a Bitcoin trillionaire. Um, and then you've got people who were just a lot later to it and they've kind of fight fighting over those scraps. So and then maybe you have that sort of lending model that you were mentioning before. So I've always thought that I don't, I've never, I've never heard, I don't, haven't heard you necessarily make that argument, but I've always been a little bit skeptical of the, oh, this is like a solution to wealth inequality thing. Cause I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't to know me, about that part. I've, I've heard that before. And it sounds to me as someone trying to sell Bitcoin to a liberal. <laughs> um, fine. But I don't think it's true. Yeah, um, okay. I think that. Like, like, I agree with you, what you said, the only issue that I would take with it is I actually do care about income inequality, or I would say okay. total wealth inequality. And the reason for that, if you've ever heard of the Gini coefficient. Uh, yes, yes. The, and that's, that's the, the development of. It's like. like oh, no, the, oh, it's, it's the differential. It's the differential in. In, the one that's in total wealth. In, well, yeah, yeah. it's the one that measures the relative wealth between people. Citizens, yeah. Citizens, people. So people with wealth, right? Yeah, yeah. Like. And you can use it on a street, a block, um, a, a country. Like you could take whatever geographical area and you can measure the Gini coefficient. And mm -hmm. it really, it's very well correlated to violence. Crime, yeah. So yeah, violent crime, but maybe not even, I need to check if it's violent crime or if it's, because um, it could also just be like, you know, like theft or, and kind of that kind of crime. But um, yeah, either way, definitely crime. Mm. Um, so I do care about it. I think that, the policies that we have right now, like in, I don't live in San Francisco anymore, thankfully, but lucky, lucky you. yeah, like the rent control thing was so bad there because you'd have like someone who made millions and millions of dollars living directly next to someone who, like there's a homeless encampment right in front of his house. Yep, yep. It's not a recipe for um, cultural unity. Mm, mm. So I don't think Bitcoin solves that problem. Um, 
But ultimately, like rich people will probably migrate and live in other places. Like only when I started getting into Bitcoin did I hear of like a country called Malta, which I had never heard of. And it's like well, Malta's dope. Yeah, Malta's dope. And then you realize <laughs> all the rich people that live there and why they live there and how they yeah. can skirt all of the UK taxes by living there for just the right amount of days. Like there's all these things that rich people do to get away from poor people, um, which is a horrible <laughs> thing to say, to put it that In way. Texas. But, well, I mean, the, the real thing is like, what will Bitcoiners do when the when when Bitcoin levels out? And this is probably let's just say not even in our lifetime. Right. But like Bitcoin, the inflation rate of Bitcoin ends in like, you know, whatever year it's like 100 years from now. And everyone's adopted Bitcoin. Therefore, there's no upward movement because it's the dominant currency. Right. Mm -hmm. In that world, what do people do? Right. I think the greatest gift of Bitcoin aside, like not just for the individual, but for the culture, is that a lot of the people who have made the most money in Bitcoin are the libertarian thinking people. Mm -hmm. So if you have the if you have the Elon Musk's of the world having the most amount of Bitcoin in a future where Bitcoin's the dominant currency, I think that leads to a new type of of. It's just a new era. It's a new era of people in power. And who knows what those people will do? Like, what if Bitcoin ends up funding Elon Musk going to Mars in the future, right? Like that would be that would be nuts. <laughs> that would be nuts. And who knows? But if, if as long as the right people own more of the Bitcoin, I think that's the environment in which that we have a chance in the future. I think that's already happened. Um, I don't think it fixes wealth inequality, but maybe people, maybe maybe basic. I don't think basic income will work. I'm trying to be optimistic. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think anything fixes it. <laughs> I mean, I think we've. The, the reality is, obviously, if we're talking about like worth and, you know, you know like, <laughs> obviously, I believe that like human beings are equal in one sense in terms of like our val the, the value of our life. I and think. yeah, right. You know, value of our life, how people should be treated, treatment under the law, et cetera. You have like a religious view of this. Yes, I do. Yes, I, yeah. yeah. I have a standard Christian view, like all yeah. men are created equal. But at the same time, equal is a funny word because at the same time, we know like no two individuals are remotely equal, like on, on any, right, on, on any level. People right. Are people are, people are Everyone's different heights. Like, yeah. People look different. People right. have different levels. Some people are smart. Some people are less smart. Some people are very physically strong. Some people are not. Some people are really good at music. Some people have no musical skills. Some people are amazing at mathematics. Others, right. We're, we're all really different. Like that's the diversity of, humanity and with that i mean there, there's not equal there's not equality in 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 anything really like in, ter in terms of right. like practical like well, what we do like it's so wealth to me is no different right and also people have different capacities some people work really hard some people are extremely lazy and it's not so, fair right so like the, the money thing isn't fair that's just something that people have to come to terms with it's like if you were someone who sold big, like if you sold T-shirts for Bitcoin back in 2011 and now you're a millionaire, like that doesn't make it fair. But that's what is true. Like it's, it's it just, just it just is. And, yeah. you know, maybe from a from a, like a religious perspective, you could say there is a reason for that. And like you should do something good with the money. Uh -huh. I think that's like an optimistic way to look at it. Realistically, people will do what's in their self-interest. And, you know, if a, if a whole bunch of rich people with Bitcoin end up seeing this huge amount of inequality and violence, it would be in their interest to find a solution for that. Because, mm. you know, I go to LA, when you drive across LA, it's, it's awful. Yeah. You go from like one, you go from one rich neighborhood to another, but you have to drive through the slums. It's mm -hmm. like, it's what you would think of for a third world country in my mind. Yep. Yeah, it blew my mind. I went to California for the first time in 2019. 
Yep. And LA and San Francisco blew my mind. It's it's horrible. I, it's- I, I was and I I was like I saw stuff there that I've been at pretty much every city in the UK and there is stuff that you will see there that you will not see in any city in the UK. Even in Europe, I was like, man, I, I've never, you know, I'd never seen people in broad daylight shooting heroin and smoking crack until yep. I got to California. I took I my, like, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I took my wife there and she she's from the Midwest. She had never seen California and she kind of had this ideologic sort of like oh, having a Hollywood view of it. And I remember we were in the Hate Ashbury and she saw what we would call like street kids. They're like yeah. kids who shoot up drugs and steal basically. And they're not kids. They're like, you know, 15 to maybe even 40. And they had this dog that was clearly like their protection dog and they just drop kick their own dog. What? And it's like one thing when, you know, two hobos are fighting or whatever, but it's like, there's like the, the the total hatred for an animal that was even theirs was just like, yeah, she talks about it every time she brings it to San Francisco, but everyone's got a story if they go and it's, it's, it's a culture shock for sure. If you're not, it it was, I mean, that was one night. I mean, I've been to like 30 something countries and the, the the most uncomfortable I've ever been in any city was walking through certain parts of San Francisco at night. Yep. And I was just like, because I, I'd been, um actually, I went to a place called uh, the, the, the Crypto Castle, which apparently is quite famous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I was walking back like to the north of the city because it, it was, you know, it was like 9 p.m. on a Saturday night. And I thought, oh, okay, instead of getting an Uber, you know what? I'm only in the city for a week. It's a Saturday night. Let me just take a walk through. And I got halfway through. I got to the kind of downtown slash tenderloin area. Oof, and it dang. was so sketchy. Yep. It was so sketchy. I, th- I saw a dude fighting a traffic cone. Like he had his shirt off and like he had like, all these <laughs> cuts and bruises on. He was fighting this traffic cone. He was cussing at it. I see another guy over there literally smoking crack. I see a park and there's people in there just shooting heroin. I was like, this is this is like dystopian. I, I was. It just felt really unpredictable. I was like, anything yeah. could happen. You know, someone's walking behind me. I'm there like checking, like, I'm there like ready to fight somebody. I had a coworker who was working with me at the company that I'm at now. So there's a Bitcoin company. The guy was making good money yeah. and he chose to live in the Tenderloin, oh, wow. like in a small apartment because it was the cheapest rent he could find in all of San Francisco and he was paying off his student loans. And it's like, he would ha- when I would have to drop him off, I'd have to go three blocks away and like drive around. <laughs> he couldn't be seen holding anything, walking Crazy. into his own apartment. Yeah. It's like the, the the amount of sacrifice that people make to. I mean, the guy's pretty well off now, but I mean, you know, we're talking about we're talking about money and how people can do what's best for them, how they can not end up in this you know cycle of poverty. Yeah. I grew up in poverty. I I, I grew up uh, on a queen size mattress with three generations on it. Like that's not, it's not ideal, but my, my parents were immigrants, right? So it's like, if, you know, going back to this idea of Bitcoin being um, more egalitarian, you can buy Bitcoin where you can't buy private equity. True. You don't need to be an accredited investor and it doesn't need to be a lot of money. Yes. Like I had a, I had my friend who's a preschool teacher. I had him buy some Bitcoin on this app that would take the change off your funds and just like put it into Bitcoin every month or so. Uh It was enough to pay off all of his student loans. Amazing. Right. So, and there's tons of stories like that, right? So, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to work for you. Right. And, you know, I I would encourage people to learn a little bit more about Bitcoin to not get too swooped up in in Cardano or other cryptocurrencies. (laughs) We all know who's pumping and dumping them. (laughs) Shots fired. (laughs) 
well, on that note, Kiara. <laughs> I'm happy for you if your numbers go up, but just let me know when you want to convert back to Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Kiara, where can people find you online? Yeah, they can. Well, first off, you can find me on Amazon if you want to check out the book Bitcoin Clarity. You can find me on YouTube and on Twitter, which I tweet less and less now because the platform is just yeah, it's not really. as fun as it used to be. But yeah, definitely check out YouTube and just check out my name, Kiara Bickers, on any any three of those platforms. Awesome. Kiara, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Hey, thanks for the real talk. It was good. Yeah. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.